0: hi everyone welcome to potluck food talks today we're going to talk about sauces and the sauce maker the saucier.
1: yeah what's the what's the deal why is it uh, like ever since i started cooking this like term saucier has had this like very mythical sort of like feel to it why do you think that is
0: uh i have a lot of theories like well, usually in many places, the, the sautier is also the, the guy that, that also does it. In, in smaller kitchens where where you have to merge rolls, the sautier also does fish and meats and sauces, which is kind of like pretty much the coolest things in the kitchen, no? somehow, or like, like the highlights uh, in the, in a menu.
1: Kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah, but also I think it has a lot to do with some chauvinistic macho thing that you're the one and the grill and the sauces and something like that, uh, that, that, that is also on the hotline because uh, on the opposite side, I've seen the Gottmanger, which is uh, the people who, who usually takes care of uh, also the dressings and salads and colts and terrines and all of that. I think technically it's broader. You you see more uh, different techniques. Uh, you also have to do with meats. You also uh, like do a lot of things, but it's not as sexy as the sausage, you know? Like-
1: yeah, I don't know, but I don't know why that is because like I, I feel the same, but I don't want to feel the same. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't want to admit that to myself uh, <laughs> that I just find the sausage much cooler than a vegetable because like, you know, you're talking about vegetable cooking, you know, there's, especially nowadays, there's just as much like, feeling and fine tuning and stuff involved, you know I mean? Look at like Anon Passat or like Michel Bra and stuff like that. You know, it's like, it's, it's not just an afterthought anymore, you know, but still there's something about even now to this day where, when I make a sauce and I make a really good sauce, you know, sauces for me are magical, honestly, you know, I, and I even thought that as a, as a kid, when I would see my grandma cooking, she would make sauces and they were like unbelievably delicious and i always thought like how it it was like this really magical skill to me just making this liquid with like the certain consistency and the certain like flavor that's just like amazing and the sauce makes i still believe that a sauce really makes a dish for sure not always of course but like a lot of the times a sauce can make or break it
0: yeah i think a lot like uh how how could i put it like like the the piece of meat is a skeleton and then the sauce gives it the whole body and nails and hair and and character and the whole whatever to to make it like a whole body
1: you know like yeah i think that also it comes from my cultural background also like being german and like eating like a christmas dinner and then like at the end you you've eaten the duck you've eaten the cabbage and then you just want to have like one more plate and you just take dumplings and just loads of sauce you know Yeah, And you just like mop up the sauce and that's like the last thing you eat.
0: Yeah, or having these jars, you know, these little sausage jars where you can just put more sauce on, way more than you need, you know? I
1: love those, man. (laughs) If I I had a restaurant, I would put those on the table, you know, just like a sauce jar. Yeah, man. Um, But, you know, that being said, uh, making sauce is difficult. Making good sauce is difficult. And especially if you don't use any cheap tricks, you know?
0: I think that that's also part of the reason why the socier is one of the most respected because the most respected roles is because uh, it has to be one of the roles with most experience, uh, as opposed to, let's say, other areas like pastry or even garden manger, I mentioned, where uh, you can stick to, to precise recipes, for example, to make a dressing. Uh, the sauce here, there are too many variables uh, that you have to have criteria to know what's going on and also to make adjustments uh, according to your knowledge and also the the process of uh, bringing a sauce to point to, to get it to the right amount of, of saltiness and, and aromas and everything, like uh, finishing a sauce, you know, saying, okay, now yeah. it's done. Now this can be served. Uh, that requires a lot of experience.
1: Yeah, true. True. And there's a lot of like intuition, you know, like often, you know, people that I work with, um, they, they ask me something like, but you know, what's the, what's the recipe, you know? And there's, as you know, there are a lot of recipes for a lot of things. And of course you can have a recipe for a sauce, which to me is just like a broad guideline though. Exactly. You know? because, Guidelines. Yes. Yeah. Because everything else is just like, peeling and blah and stuff. You know, I had somebody ask me the other day as I was, I was reducing down a jus for people who don't know what a jus is. It's like a, um, a very concentrated meat sauce. That's basically just reduced made from roasted meat and and vegetables if you want. And like sometimes spices, depending how you make it, but mainly it's meat and bones and you reduce it so much until it's sticky and tasty and glazy. And I was tasting it while I was reducing and somebody asked me, but like, this is obviously, this obviously needs to reduce for like another eight hours. So why are you tasting it? You know? And I was like, I want to see how it's developing. You know? Of course. If I can tell, I can tell now if it's too sweet, did I add too many vegetables, did I add too many carrots and too many onions, you know? Um, then I can counteract that now. I can add some tomato, you know, I can add some this and that, blah. Um, or, or, you know, something like that. And this practice I've been doing, like I've, even started doing this when uh, I was in my apprenticeship at Margot, for example. I would taste the broths while they were reducing, and um, I got the same question back then. And I was like, "No, I don't want to see how it's progressing." You know.
0: I remember seeing that. Uh, I remember seeing a a video of Eric Rippert, uh doing exactly that and explaining exactly that. That you, the moment you start, like while it's still super liquid. Because you want to have a reference, and the next time you do it, you want to remember that flavor. I mean, it's not to, to enjoy it, it's just to know at what point it is exactly, uh, as you said, how, how is it evolving. Yeah. And then talking about Eric Repert, like his chef de cuisine is a, a guy called Eric Gestel. And uh, this is also like a legendary saucier. I saw a documentary about him making sauces, and he has like this sauce station, you know, with 30 different sauces. And can you imagine like, like doing sauces for Le Bernardin where, where everything has to be so on point and so detailed, you know, like a, a three-star restaurant? Like, I, I guess that's also the point. Like it's a big deal, like in a high-end restaurant, the sauce aspect of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, totally. Um, you have to send me that documentary, by the way. I need to watch that. Anything that's <laughs> to do with this like old old school cooking. I love that stuff. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. But then again, but, but then on the other side, obviously there's the sauces and stocks also. We can't forget about stocks, you know, the base stocks you make, you know, fumé, fond blanc, you know, brown stock, whatever, <clears throat> vegetable stocks, you know. Yeah, be- um,
0: be- be- before you go on with that, because I think this is really important. Could you like describe like a normal routine day of a saussure? Because it's actually, there's a lot of
1: stock cooking in a saussure's routine. So um, how it was for me when I was working on a socier. now the kitchen I work in is so small that we don't have a saussier. Everybody just does everything. But uh, for me would get in. And the first thing you do is you start the basis that you need. So if you need to make bisque, right. And you need to make jus and you need to make, I don't know, burritos. Um, and so you get all your vegetables ready. And first of all, you make your, your mirepoix, right your vegetable base and you just like smash that down, get it divided. You get your, you know, you know, your pots ready, heating up. Uh, I mean, when I was like on high times in the you know, we'd have these big copper pots and so you get them like to a certain temperature, not high, because you don't want them boiling hot, but they need some time to really absorb the heat so that they hold it. So you get it to like a nice medium temperature. And then you start all your bases, you start sweating off all your stuff. Depends what you're doing, obviously. If you're making like a brown, like a sauce or like a roasty thing, you need to start roasting off your vegetables. If you make a clear stock or like a clear base or something, you know, you, you get that going, but you get it going as fast as possible. And then obviously it depends on sort of like what produce you have coming in. Because if you do, if you do sauce here, you know, you need to prepare all the protein also, the fish. What fish balls do you have in the seafood? Do you have, do you have lobster claws? Do you have, um, Langoustines? Do you have this? Do you have that? You know, so you have to have a constant rotation of your production. You know, am I getting a load of fish in today? Okay, do I ne- need to make fumet? Fumet is a clear fish stock, right? So you get that going. Um, do I? Am I getting chickens in? You know, or like, do I need to make uh, fond blanc, which is a clear chicken stock for like a base of something else? And um, you need to have this constant production rolling. And then of course, like once that's going, because those things take the longest time and they work themselves. Once they got going, they work themselves while you do other things. So once they kind of start going, you need to like, you go on to cleaning the fish, cleaning the seafood, cutting the meat, portioning, etc. And then of course you need to tend to your stocks and sauces, right? So like a stock or a sauce, it needs constant care and attention. You need to degrass it, you know? So like all the impurities that get, caught in the sort of like the um, the protein that coagulates while cooking rises to the surface and you need to take that off. You need to skim the fat off because the fat adds bitterness and impurities to your stuff. So you need to constantly take care of.
0: Yeah, because also any little mistake becomes like exponential and three-dimensional. Like if you burn the vegetables too much at the beginning, you will have that at the end sauce. Uh, or or all these notes of whatever mistake you do at some point in in the roadmap.
1: Yeah, for sure. If you roast your, you know, you roast duck bones, right? Duck bones have a lot of fat, you know, like duck carcasses rather. And you don't strain off the fat well enough or you roast them a little bit too much. You start your stock. It doesn't matter what you do. It's going to be bitter and it's going to taste horrible.
0: Yeah, I hate, like, I've seen like these chefs that don't care about these things. It's like, oh no, like. I don't take the fat out because so I will have more sauce and it's more cost efficient. And it's like, okay, you're just being, you're just not understanding at all what you're
1: doing, you know? Yeah. So if you think about the quantity of your sauce rather than the quality of your sauce, then you've lost already, you know, because it is a very frustrating process to look in the restaurant, in my, like in my restaurant, you know, I start like a, I'll start like a 20 liter pot of, broth, right? So like I I make it a little bit, I have to make it time efficient. So I don't, usually you make a brown stock and then you make another base of bones and vegetables. You put a brown stock on top of that and then you reduce that down. I don't have time or space for that, unfortunately. So what I do is I make a very nice base of like roasted bones and I've started doing jus just with bones and onions. That's it. No vegetables, no mirepoix. no onions. Yeah. It's amazing. Like you, you don't need that. Yeah. I roast them really nicely and then I put them like Tetris like in a pot so that they're as close together as possible. I make some brulee onions, which is onions just cut in half with the skin on a pan, dry until they're black on the surface. These one have to be really burnt. Yeah. Really I love burnt, those. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a little bit counterintuitive. If you think it'll taste burnt, but it won't if you do no. it right. It's mm-hmm. it's totally fine. And then I add water just so it covers the bones. I want it to be as tightly packed as possible. And then I let it go overnight. At like 80 degrees, I have an induction that I can put on 80 degrees. So it's just, it's not even simmering. It's just like lightly moving and it infuses all night. Then the next day I bring it to a boil. I bring all the impurities up. I take them off and then I strain it and I reduce it. And out of this 20 liter pot of sauce, I'll maybe get one to two liters of sauce, you know. Yeah. Um. If I'm if I'm lucky. And it's very frustrating to have this pot that's as big as my torso to then have a saucepan that's like, there's nothing in it. And you taste it and you're like, it can still reduce some more. And you're like, but if I reduce it some more, it's all going to be gone. <laughs> uh, but, but if you want a nice sauce, that's what you have to do.
0: What about thickening? I think that's also like a super important as- aspect. The most purest way in most cases is, as you said, just to reduce it until you have the desired Sticky collagenous texture, but I mean that that doesn't apply for all sauces. Like for instance, a wok sauce, perhaps you're going to use cornstarch, or some specific sauces you will use yuzu starch, or some specific sauces you will thicken them. If you're just home cooking, you might just plant the the cooking juices with the vegetables to get like a you know like a thick cream and and oh yeah, there are like all all kinds of of ways. Well, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I mean, the then I think the nicest way, the most purest way, is to have just just to carefully reduce your stock. But then again, it um, it depends on your understanding of what you're making. Your stock needs to have enough collagen, and it needs to have enough, you know, sugar, as in like roasted Maya reaction, you know, um, particles like brown particles. Otherwise, you reduce it, and it won't get thickened. You know, I'm a big fan of adding, you know, like very collagenous things to stocks. Like for example, if I make a chicken stock or especially if I make a brown chicken stock, I put the feet in, you know, something that like people would have frowned upon, but like, you know, I, you know, taking inspiration also from Asian cooking, you know, I put the feet in, it's super nice.
0: Yeah, you know, I learned from our friend, John Basterrechea he had like this uh, industrial gelatin that, that it looked like, like brown sugar. This gelatin, you don't see like in, in stores, and he would use that as a sauce thickener. And I mean, your your lips would stick to each other like every time you would eat yeah. one, one of his sauces.
1: That's very nice. Um, I think like, I, I don't have a problem with thickening, you know, but like the, the purest and the like highest art is like to make it without thickening. Of course. There's a really good trick from um, amazing chef um, Fergus Henderson from St. John. They have this thing that they use in their kitchen as a basic cooking tool for different things, for sauces, for pie mixes, for everything. They call it a uh, trotter gear. So it's made from pigstrotters. Mm-hmm. And I think they like cook pigstrotters down and then sort of like shred it and like whatnot and blah, blah. And um, I've had it in like many forms, for example, like in pie fillings and stuff, like a venison and trotter pie is amazing, but you get the stickiness and this. And I think it's just sort of like even if like if you make a a veal stock, for example, if you have veal feet, like that's very good. But even if you, I have like a, a I want to make a nice veal jus. I'll buy like one trotter. I'll have them cut it in half and I roast it until it's really nice golden brown. It's a delicious flavor and just add it in, and it gives so much stickiness and so much unctuousness, mm-hmm. you know, so much exactly. body to the sauce, and it gives you that that really pleasant, like you just described, this feeling of your lips sticking together. Yeah. What I think is also really nice and that nobody does anymore is blood thickening. Oh yeah. You know, where you have like a, like a pigeon sauce. One of the most delicious sauces that I can remember, well, I ate here in Berlin at an event where Christian Rosa was cooking and my good friend, uh, Norbert Kruger was, was cooking the dish. It's like one of his classic dishes. Like, um, it was like a charcoal grilled pigeon with sauce, like the one, um, and like, um, uh, like a, like a flour sugar. Um But that sauce was absolutely delicious. And it was a pigeon jus that's thickened with a, a blended mixture of the, of the heart and the liver and blood. And so it's like very tricky because you want to thicken it and strain it. You can't cook the blood too much, you know, otherwise it coagulates and it gets nasty. And then they added like a melange noir, like a mixture of like dark pepper And it was so extremely flavorsome and like pleasant and nice and complex. One of the best sauces I've ever tried. That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday.